Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover personal journeys behind their work, explore options from indie to traditional publishing, and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Welcome to Let's Get Writing, Season 4. I'm your host, Katherine Taylor. Well, Let's Get Writing is all about the writing process from creation to publication. And here is where you can find inspiration, ideas, and meet the people behind the stories. We bring life to books and so much more. Let's Get Writing is available on my Facebook page live every week and also permanently homed on my YouTube channel at Katherine Taylor TV. And I'd love it if you could subscribe there and like and share. If you like your content on the go, why Let's Get Writing is also available as a podcast on your favorite platform. Now, my guest today is here to discuss her self-published book, Balsam's Point, and it's based on the stories told to her by her grandmother, Selena Maud Balsam. Lighthearted and reflective of her grandmother's bright spirit, the book captures the essence of life in and around Clarenville, Newfoundland in the 1920s and 30s. A heartfelt glimpse into a simpler time that to me was almost reminiscent of Little House on the Prairie. But how does one begin writing such a beautiful memoir? Well, we're going to learn all about that and more as I bring my guest to the show. And let's welcome Rhonda Rogers to the stream. Hi, Rhonda. Hi. How are you? I'm here in central Newfoundland. I think many people know that. But if you don't, central Newfoundland, Canada. And Rhonda, on this same big island, is up near St. Anthony. Mm-hmm. Exactly where, Rhonda? Um, you're just outside. Yes, I currently reside in a little community called St. Lanier Gricket. It's about 20 minutes outside of St. Anthony. So we're right up on the tip of the Northern Peninsula. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, the Northern Peninsula is a bit responsible for the fact that under my tree this year, instead of something like a Louis Vuitton bag, there are actually going to be fishing uh, waders, salmon gear, and that kind of thing, because I had a wonderful adventure up in that beautiful part of our province, trout fishing and salmon fishing, and I, I want to do it again. It's a beautiful place, a long way to get there, but well worth it. Well worth it. I always say I never tire the drive. I mean, I come home, you know, just about every month to see my mom in Clarenville, but I never tire of that drive. I mean, the landscape, the scenery coming up through the Straits of Belle Isle is absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. It is. And unexpected in some ways, too. There's a wonderful park there called the Arches and very beautiful. But let's not talk, many of the people do know about the Northern Peninsula, but what they don't know about is your book. (laughs) And someone's wanting you. Um, they don't know about, that's okay. They don't know about your book. And this book was really a work of, I guess, a big part of your memories with your grandmother and also a part of your life and your family, almost a legacy. So maybe I'll just let you open by telling a little bit about the book and why you wrote it. Well, you know, 
of course, I had a very close relationship with my grandmother all, all through my childhood growing up. She was very integral in my life. And the one thing I can say about my grandmother, and I've witnessed this many a times throughout my life, she was so good at capturing an audience. And it wasn't like she ever had anything extra sensational or shocking to share, but she had this way of telling a story, you know, that had that would just keep you captivated. You know, I've seen people sit in a room and just listen to her and she just she was just a wonderful storyteller. And as she got, you know, up in, you know, the last years of her life, you know, I decided I went to visit her. She was living in Nova Scotia at the very end of her life. And I went to visit her and I thought, you know what? It's so important to preserve these stories, not just my grandmother's story, but so many people, you know, in Newfoundland and, and elsewhere. There's so many beautiful stories. And I thought we have to preserve these stories before this generation dies out. And I thought I'm going to go visit her and I'm going to spend about a week with her and record. Sorry, I, I'm at my office today and I'm not even working today, but yet for some reason my phone wants to ring. <laughs> okay, we'll just, we'll just put them off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just took a tape recorder with me and I, I sat with my grandmother and I said, I just want you to tell me your story, you know, just your life story. Start from, you know, early childhood, just work your way up through the stories uh, and I'm going to, and I'll capture it all on tape. And then of course, from that, I've transcribed it all. And then I had to put it all in order, of course, chronological order kind of going up through, but that, that's how the process started. Uh, many years ago before her death. <laughs> and you know, Rhonda, I think this is something that we often sit back and wish we had done, particularly because in Newfoundland, our history is, I don't know, it's its so different, I tend to think, than other parts of Canada, because we were more rural, we were more isolated, and some of the conditions that our ancestors, not all that long ago, we're talking the 20s and 30s of what they dealt with was it's very foreign to us we don't have that sense of what they grew up with and the harshness at that time of the isolation and the things and that's all in the book I, I want to delve into it but I don't want to take away from it but what you've done I think is something that a lot of us wish we had done but now that moment has passed and how did you feel when you finished it and how was your grandmother through the process what was her take on this well, you know, it's really interesting. And I don't know, hopefully it comes through in the reading of the book. But, you know, initially, she was very, like I said to her in the beginning, I'm going to turn on the tape recorder, just pretend it's not here. And I just want you to talk, right? And just start talking. Start by just introducing your name when you were born. So in the beginning stages of the process, you know, I remember the first day I turned on the tape recorder, and she kind of leaned forward like this. And she went, my name is Selena Mag." awesome you know <laughs> and I was born and you know she just and it was very like and so that's how I thought that has to be the opening line of the book and that is the opening line of the book and you know in the early chapters of the book it's told from the perspective through the eyes of a small child because it starts out you know those early years of her coming up and but then as she got more comfortable telling me stories and as she moved up through the years of her own life the 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 delivery kind of changed for her as well, because now it moved from, well, I'm telling you now the way I would have perceived it as a child of five or a child of six into now how I'm perceiving my life through my teenage years. And then as a young woman, and then, you know, through my courtship with my, you know, and then the early years of my marriage. So her tone changes and the way her delivery changes. So I tried to kind of keep that thread of that through the book, you know, how it does change from the early chapters as it progresses through like the tone and because it was very very important to me 
to preserve her voice in this book. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like the ghostwriter. It's her story. You know, it's told in the first person. It's her story. And it was very, very important to me to keep it true to her voice. It was funny because when I went to do the, the spell check on it and the grammatical check, you know, with the editor, <laughs> um, <laughs> it came up that it said there are too many grammatical and spelling errors in this, you know, document for mm -hmm. me to proceed. I was like, yeah, they're intentional. So we're just going to leave those. Makes for very challenging editing because, you know, you'd have to teach your program those words and it would never. <laughs> and of course, yes, the grammar is not going to be perfect. And it's going to be what, what it is. Did she have any idea that what you were going to do with the book? They're persistent. I'll give them that, Rhonda. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's okay. Uh, did she I, have any idea where this was all going? Did you tell her that there was going to be a book that people could I read? I did. Yeah. yeah, I told her. I don't know if she really, I mean, I don't think my grandmother ever really thought, you know, that her life was worth putting in a book, you know, like there was anything special that, you know, but I did tell her that was my intention. I said, I want to, you know, I want to capture your your stories. And I, I told her I was going to publish them in a book. Unfortunately, I didn't get it published before her death. Um, but she knew that that was my intent. Yeah. And Rhonda, that was, okay, so that was what you told her. And then you started on the journey. You had the stories. And then, so how did that journey go for you? Was was it a difficult one or did it just flow or how, how did it all come together? Well, the initial transcribing took a while because even though I had everything on tape, which now is mine to keep forever, like that's something I'll treasure forever. It's just her voice, you know, on mm. tape. I had like 14 cassette tapes, I think in total. Uh, so then the first stage was just to transcribe them just as you know just as they were recorded so that took quite a while to transcribe you know 14 cassette tapes front and back all that then of course I had to go through it and you know weed out okay well this stuff isn't really relevant or this and you know as she's telling stories as many people do they jump so you know she could be telling me something that happened when she was six and then and then she jumps to when she was 16 and then she jumps to when she was 60 and then she's back to when she was a child so of course the stories are all there but she didn't tell them in chronological order of course she just told them as they mm -hmm. you know popped her head so then I had to take all that and then I had to kind of put it all in order so that it had a progressive flow and then I had to kind of take out okay this is not this is not you know and then then I had to decide well where does the story end you know because I didn't want to take it right through her entire life I just wanted to take it up through her childhood and teen years meeting in the courtship with my grandfather and then the early years of her life because they were so isolated and because it was so unique the way my grandfather you know cleared that land out on the point in Clarewell you know there was no road out there he literally cleared that land himself and built this home you know to raise his family so that's very integral you know the isolation she had to endure out there on the point my grandfather was a wildlife officer so he was away a lot so many years spent out there on her own, raising babies, you know, no way off the point. So I wanted to take it up through that. But then once it got, once the birth of all the children was done, then I kind of had to figure out a way to wind it down now to kind of, you know, bring it to an end. So it, it, it that was a process. But it, quite honestly, though, the book could have been written many years ago. I have to say, I just, procre I, once I had it all transcribed and then put in order, it was really just then in my head, it was there to write. But I would start on it, you know, I would I would get really gung-ho about it and I'd write and write and write. And then something else would come up and I'd put it to the side and I'd get sidetracked with another project or something else going on in my life or this. And I'd get busy and I'd put it off, put it off. And then eventually I'd say, oh, I got to go back to the book, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'd go back 
little bit more. And it was kind of like that. And I don't know if at some point, maybe too, I had a little bit of self-doubt. I think I procrastinated in some ways, a little bit self-sabotaging because I was, I think I was a scared to actually finish it and actually get to the point where it's ready to publish. You know, there was a little bit of fear in there. Like, well, what if nobody likes it? You know, what if it's only, you know, interesting to me because she was my grandmother and I loved her so much, you know? So I think fear held me back a lot too. You know, Rhonda, I think that that's a common feeling, particularly with people's first books, because it's very vulnerable to put your work out there. And if people criticize it, you know, these type of professions can be very difficult. And uh, you work a lot in the theater as an, as an actor, and you know that that is, you know, if somebody gives you a bad review, it, it's very devastating at times. And yet that's that's life and you got to move on from it. But I think what you experienced is common to yeah. writing the book, but we're so glad that you put it out. And when I was reading it and I made the reference in my uh, opening remarks, I thought of Little House on the Prairie because yeah. was, there were these, the chapters are little tales of things that happened and interesting things they, it, that she did and her close friend and, and that sort of thing. And I thought, geez, you know, this is, and her sense of humor came through so well. And yeah. it was just a heartwarming read about a, a time period that we're so removed from. We have so much technology. And I thought, how did she do it? How did she live in some isolation, have seven children, was seven, eight, seven, seven, seven children. Her husband being away, if she needed something to get to, to go and get sugar was like an odyssey. She couldn't put kids in the stroller and go across a, a, a bog or something. Like, you know, how, how, how did, how did she ever get through all that and, and just do no. what she did? Did she ever say it was a hard life? No, I think in the moment she was living it, it, it was just the normal. And you got to remember, it's up through the years of the Great Depression and all that mm -hmm. too. So I think in the moment she was living it, I don't think, I think she thought it was the normal, you know, other than being so isolated. I mean, that was a little bit unusual because most people around Carnival weren't out separated like that, you know, living in an area where you could only get to, you know, by boat or a little sheep's path as she called it right uh, but other than that i mean a way of life i think at that in that time you know was quite typical now looking back on it as she was telling me the story she was mm -hmm. certainly saying oh you know nobody knows what i went through out there and you know i don't know how i did it and oh you know she in hindsight looking back she recognizes but in the moment i don't think she did you just you know? do what you have to do to, to do what you have to do today yeah, and I think that's why, too, like initially I was so concerned that, well, nobody's going to find this interesting except me. But the people, when I finally did get up the nerve to let certain, you know, writing friends and people, you know, listen to little excerpts, they said, but Rhonda, this is universal, right? You know, there are many people who will be able to relate to that because there are many people who had those same experiences, you know, in life. So, yes, it is uniquely about your grandmother, but you don't necessarily need to know your grandmother to be able to relate to these types of stories because there are so many people out there who have similar stories. Absolutely. And if anyone is from that that area, the, the Clarenville area, that'll probably even be more familiar to them. But you're right. It is very universal. And But I still was struck by how difficult life was. Now we go to the grocery store and there's nothing to it or we have daycares and things like that. Even back what I noted was that people getting married, they had nowhere to live. Yeah. <laughs> no home. <laughs> they had to move in with 
this cousin or this relative and share very small living quarters. And then once they started their families, I, you know, and I think your grandmother, didn't she live in a, almost a, was it a, a fish hut or I'm not sure the right word, word for yeah. it? 10 by 20 for 12 by 20. I believe it was the yeah, very first yeah. place. See, yeah, because they didn't have, I mean, they, they, they courted for quite a number of years before they married. And my grandfather, the reason for that is because, you know, he wasn't going to marry her until he knew he had somewhere to house her, right? You know, that was his mm -hmm. pride. So they courted for so many years, you know, before marriage. And then, yes, he had just this little uh, boathouse that was uh, built onto the side of a mill that he put on oil drums and literally floated out to the point. So that became then their temporary home so they could actually marry while he was building them another house on the property. It was literally, I believe, 12 by 20. And can you imagine, and before they moved into their bigger home, which still wasn't a huge house, but I think she'd had like, I think she was on her fourth child before they got to move into the bigger one. So can you imagine, you know, raising like three, four children in like a space that's literally 12 by 20 feet, you know, all those years. But, you know, she says in the book, I, I, to her, it was like heaven because it was the first time she had her own place. She fixed it up like a little dollhouse, you know, as she said, right? Yeah. But that was, you know, that was the reality. There were such great stories about how the kids being kids, like she had that tablecloth that, you know, she poured her heart into making this beautiful tablecloth, making her home a home and the kids cut it up. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to bring up a few photos and you can tell a few few stories around these. I didn't mean to cut you off if there's something you no. want to say, but let's just first show that. I want to show the um, the book cover there. And uh, this is your grandmother. Yes, that's my grandmother. Having a thoughtful moment, I imagine, on Balsam's Point. Uh, you know what? I'm not actually sure where that picture was taken, to be quite honest. I don't know where she was at that time when that picture was taken. I don't I don't think it was actually out on Balsam's Point, to be quite honest. All right. I well, think beautiful, beautiful, serene picture. Yeah. And there's a smile. Yeah. <laughs> She's so happy. And you can, her, her, her expression just shines through. Well, she always said it, it takes, it doesn't take any more energy to smile than it does to cry. But you'll always feel much better after, after a good laugh than a good cry. So, yeah, I like that picture because it just captures her spirit. And Rhonda, her faith was very strong. And you brought that into the book with, with little um, notations or excerpts of, of passages from the Bible. And um, that must have been something that also helped her as she worked through everything. Yeah, it was really, I, I struggled if I was going to do that or not initially. Because, um, I mean, I'm not a particularly like, religious person myself. But the Salvation Army was such an integral part of her life. So I thought the book itself isn't really religious. I mean, there isn't really much religious connotation in the book itself. But I just thought it would be a nice tribute to her because the Bible was important to her. So I thought I would just precede each chapter with just a little, just a little scripture read, a little scripture right at the top of each chapter, sort of as a tribute to her. Exactly, yeah. like a sentence or two, which I think she would have appreciated. And who's who's this? So this is my grand, the girl with the big bow in her hair. That is my grandmother as a little girl, and then that's her younger brother Ellis, and then that's her her mother, which would have been my great grandmother, who was Marion Summers at birth, and then she married my uh, great grandfather Mark Baker, and then he died, and then she remarried another man named Nathaniel Pretty. So there's kind of, and then there were some more siblings that came along from her second marriage, who were half siblings to my grandmother. 
But that is just her and her brother that are the, and the only two biological siblings. And, and, here. That, and that's my grandmother and my grandfather at one of their anniversaries. I don't know which one. <laughs> I like this because it just, my grandmother looks kind of impish in it. And it just kind of so captures again, her personality mm -hmm. and her fun and jovial spirit. Yeah. And this man here. Now that's not now this. Last this he, yeah. He's in the book. This is my great, great grandfather Summers um, standing up beside his fox furs. Cause he was a, a fur breeder. He used to breed uh, silver foxes. And so he's in the book in a few chapters. So actually, I'm going to bring this picture up here for one second. When you talk about the foxes, there we go. <laughs> Tell us about yeah. this one. Yeah. So those are two foxes. There is a chapter in the book called uh, the fox. Uh, I believe it, that's actually what it's called. Silver foxes. I can't even remember what the chapters. Well, called. That happens. <laughs> um, but uh, they raise them. Uh, my grandmother and the lady you'll see in a minute there, my great aunt Margie, they grew up together. They were only two years apart. Technically, Margie was her aunt, really, but they were only two years in the difference of their age. So they grew up childhood friends. So Margie is a big part of the book as well. And they raised, yeah, there she is. It's my great aunt Margie. So they they had uh, rescued two little fox pups uh, at, at birth that almost drowned. And then they reared them up. Uh, and tamed them, so and called them Jack and Jill. So that picture there is just, uh, again, my great-great-aunt Meg, who's also mentioned in the book, and my great-great-uncle Jack are there with, with the foxes in this picture. Let's see. We'll see who this is now. So that would be grandmother and my mom. So that would be like a three general. I'm not in it, but obviously that's my mother, the, the younger one, and then and then my grandmother. And this is your grandfather again? That's my grandfather, Roland Balsam. Yes. <laughs> and we're back to the cover. Yeah. We, and, and Rhonda, while we're, we're looking at the pictures and we've seen a bit of the book, why don't you just share a little book with us and uh, take a few moments to um, give people a taste of your memoir? Okay. Oh, I hate reading my own stuff out loud. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to sound out loud. I don't actually have any hard copies of my book myself. I've ordered them because I've only published it. It was just the 17th of this month that I published it. Uh, so I'm still waiting on my own hard copies, but I did print off. So I'll just read like one page. So I'm not sure. Too much. So as a lead in, I guess this is from chapter three called The Christening. So this is a story about how my grandmother and my great aunt Margie took it in their head that they were going to christen this little kitten uh, that they had. Uh, so they cooked up this scheme that they were going to christen the kitten. So this is just a, a short excerpt from the chapter on that. Now, most days it was Margie who would come up with the schemes, and I would dutifully follow along. But I guess sitting there in the back porch the way we were that day, brushing the fur on Jack and Jill's coats till it shone, must have somehow got me to thinking. Margie, I ventured. We got names for the pups, but what do you suppose we ought to call the kitten? Oh, I got a name for the kitten, all right, Margie whispered. But I'm waiting for Mom to go away out of sight so as we can christen him real proper. What, christen a cat? How are we going to do that, Margie? because I always had to know all the details. Why the same as you Christmas babies, of course, because Margie was always confident about everything. But you takes babies to church and christens them with water. You can't take a kitten to church. I knew Granny would never allow that, for sure and certain. Oh, I knows how to do it myself, Margie assured me, and her eyes got as big as saucers like they did whenever she was cooking up a scheme. Only you'll have to go stand by the door and keep a lookout whilst I goes into the dining room to get the hymn book and Mom's white china bowl off of the sideboard. What do you want a hymn book for, Margie? I had to ask, because I knew Granny never let nobody touch her good Sunday hymn book. 
because when you christen babies, you got to sing to them, said Margie. So we're going to sing to the cat. Well, what are we going to sing, Margie? I had to know. We're going to sing, announced Margie, her voice real solemn-like, when mothers of Salem, their children brought to Jesus. Well, by now, I was starting to have my doubts, because even though I figured Margie could get the hymn book all right, I knew she couldn't carry a tune to save her life, and that meant I'd likely be the one who'd have to be doing most of the singing. So there we sat in the back porch, brushing away at them pups and biding our time until Jenny Keene finally had her fill of Granny's buttermilk buns and we saw her head off across the garden. Then the minute Granny set out to tend to her vegetable patch and we knew the coast was clear, Margie tucked the knobby little kitten under her arm and we snuck off out the back door and headed straight for her hiding place behind the woodpile. Grandpa was still atop the roof with his hammer and nails, but we didn't bother about him none because we knew he wouldn't pay us no mind. And even if he did, he wouldn't do nothing except laugh his big laugh. And he'd never tell Granny what we were up to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can see it now. What a character. What a character she is. And her friend, I think, was a bit of an instigator. <laughs> uh, Margie was definitely an instigator. Yeah. And she, and she, I, I remember my great aunt Margie, because I mean, many of the people in this book, obviously, uh, I have very vague memories of. Some of them were already deceased before I was born. Some of them were quite up in age by the time I was old enough to know them. But I distinctly remember my great aunt Margie. And she was a character all through her life that, that stayed with her. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we, go, we have, I want to thank Vicki Nee. All families should have a historian who knows the connections, trials, and tribulations of our ancestors. And quite, quite right, Vicki, we agree with you. And she especially loved the chapter, Rhonda. So there's some positive <laughs> feedback right away, too. A little more. You know, it's, to. it's nice to get feedback from somebody who, like, isn't related to me in any way, you know, isn't like somebody that's just going to read it because they're a good friend or they're a family. It's nice, you know, I love that feedback, you know, from somebody who, well, they have no reason to read it other than the fact that they'd like to read it. So feedback from somebody like that to say they enjoyed it. So I appreciate that. Thanks, Vicki. Thank you very much. She's not a related to me, so that's nice that somebody that's a non-relative can enjoy it. <laughs> well, and I agree. I think it's very much that way, and the stories are very heartwarming and almost of a simpler time. But her personality, you did such a beautiful job bringing that through, Rhonda. You really, really did. Now, if someone was interested in doing this type of project, and this was the reason I felt it was so important to have you on the show, because there are still opportunities for people to do this. What advice would you give them? Um, as far as publishing, you mean, or just well, writing? Maybe not, no, the writing, to the, the writing, the process. Um, well, I mean, first, you have to have something that's close to your heart, right? Mm -hmm. and, and like I said, this book was very close to my heart, very different than anything else that I would uh, attempt to write. You know, this just became something that it was just really important to me to preserve those memories. And for the younger people coming up, you know, uh, to really recognize so that doesn't die out you know they recognize that that way of life um I, I don't know I mean for me I guess the plan just came together as I wrote I mean uniquely for me because I I, I recorded it so that's different mm -hmm. right I mean, it's different than just gathering information doing research you know I recorded her story so for my book there isn't really a lot of research involved it's just literally telling her story um 
So just do it. I guess it comes to I mean, you just, you just do it. That's it. Yeah. I I didn't really have a a plan. All I knew was I wanted to capture a way of life that I know was going to die out eventually. Like even you look at young people today, when they become grandparents, they're not going to be the same kind of grandparents that my grandparents were Mm -hmm. because the world is so different now. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't know anything about that. Uh, So that's really what I was trying to preserve, you know, through my grandmother's voice. But like I said, there were so many others. I would love to be able to make a career out of just traveling around and talking to elder people and getting their stories, capturing their stories and and putting it on paper. I'd love to do that. Well, we'll be looking for you. We may find you. We're just about ready to wrap, Rhonda. Before we go, I'm just going to pop your um, handle up here on uh, that people can find you through Instagram and uh, Rhonda on the rock. And yeah. I feel like we're just getting going. We could talk more about this. I know. If, we, if we've inspired anyone out there, reach out to Rhonda or do your stories and share them with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rhonda, for being here today and, and, and sharing Balsam's point with our hearts. Thank you for having me. Okay. <laughs> and thank you folks for joining us. Have a great week. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. And if you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.